The uh, Bible reading today is Psalm 23, the Psalm of David, and I'm reading from the New International Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, you, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, but it is good to get stuck into Easter and thinking about uh, the, the, the cross leading up to Easter as well. And uh, we've, uh, we started last week looking at God's character through the Psalms uh, as we lead through to Easter. So Jordan reminded us last week that we indeed have, uh, our God is indeed a good God, a good shepherd. A shepherd who cares for his sheep. And I almost feel that um, Psalm 23, which is written from the perspective of the sheep as such, um, speaks for itself. I could let you read it, or we've already heard it a couple of times, really, through this service. I can let you find refreshment in it and see how the shepherd cares for his sheep, how God cares for his people. And it would be then easy to, to, to flip forward a little bit towards Easter, where in the scriptures where uh, the goodness and care is displayed in, in this amazingly mighty way through the great sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We could leave it at that story done, and I think that's almost enough, because God's glory is shown through the Easter story, but his, his loving embrace is shown in it as well. So if you, if you want, we can finish it there. But I've got a whole lot more that I could give you. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, I want to. I want to. I want us to, to dig a little deeper into the psalm, but also that it's not just an, another good psalm, a psalm that we get comfort in different times in our lives. But I want it to to be a psalm that you might be able to read almost on a daily basis as a prayer, just as Zeta. That was a lovely way of praying that psalm. Thank you very much for bringing that through to us. When you read it, you're not only reading it through the lens of a good God, a shepherd who comforts us in the dark times, but rather we're seeing it in the light of Jesus, the one who makes darkness light, who causes the blind to see, and who is our source of comfort in our everyday ups and downs. Because indeed, Jesus experienced the, the highest of heights, one with the Father, but yet the lowest of lows on the cross. So let's pray and get stuck into this psalm. Our Lord, help us to understand a psalm that we probably know pretty well. Help us to understand how it fits in to your story, your bigger picture story of who you are and who we can be in your name. Amen. So Psalm 23, it's often used in the context of end of life, isn't it? It's used a lot in funeral services. Um, It's read a lot at the bedside of those who are in their last days. And it's understandable. It's a very comforting psalm. Such a comfort of our God that even through the darkest times, God is with us. And as we look at the context of David in writing this psalm, we can imagine his surroundings. We can imagine what he was in. He was a shepherd. He knew the role of a shepherd. So as he wrote, he'd be thinking back to when he was a shepherd. He was the one that cared for, that looked after, that protected his sheep. 
I can imagine David, if he was around for the parables that Jesus talked about, um, sheep, I reckon, I reckon he'd be saying, well, Jesus, I'd chase after that one sheep for sure. I'd make sure the rest are all set up, and then I'd go for that one that went rogue. He'd say, Jesus, I get it when you say that the sheep hear the voice of the owner, because I call out for my sheep, and they know my voice as a part to, to Joe's voice down the road. They follow it. It makes sense. I picture David with this backdrop of wilderness, watching as his flock graze the dusty outcrops of Bethlehem, searching for that scarcity of water, the green grass, leading his flocks to the safe spaces, and making sure that when he leads them through the rugged, scary, darker surfaces, that he would be there just guiding them. I can just imagine him almost getting beside each sheep, just pulling them through. You're going to be all right, little guy. And so when you think as David as a shepherd, you start to get a deeper understanding about how David actually saw God. David rose from this humble shepherd boy and became the most powerful person in Israel. So let's dig into the psalm a little bit and see how David saw Yahweh. So first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. It starts off with this, this verse, we hear it. The very start of the psalm, it indicates David's understanding of his position in relationship to God. David writes from that perspective of the, the sheep. The shepherd, who is the Lord, looks over the sheep, which he is one of them. The sheep's role in the situation is to drink water, to eat grass, and try not to die. Their, 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 their purpose, <laughs> their role. The sheep does all the, doesn't do all the work. The shepherd does all the work. And in many ways, the sheep have to follow the leading of the shepherd. To not follow the shepherd would be catastrophic. David straight up is reminding us of who the Lord is and what our responsibility within that relationship is. The second part of it is the Lord is my provider. David goes on... I'll, I'll, Yeah, Easter eggs. I might have a theme through the service today. David goes on to the rest of verse 1 saying that because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The King James Version of the Bible is probably the most quoted version. says, I shall not want. So I want chocolate. That's why I've got it up there. I want chocolate all the time. That's why I love Easter. Easter chocolate is different to other chocolate. Um, I I don't know if you agree with me in that, but you you get an Easter egg and it just tastes different to a block of Cadbury's. So you pay a lot more for less chocolate, but it's, it's just good. So I love Easter, but I don't need chocolate. I don't need it. And just because there are a million Easter eggs staring at me every time I walk into the shops doesn't mean I need to have one. I want them but it doesn't mean I need them. Philippians 4.19 reminds us that, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. God is the provider of all our needs, but also brings us enough that we actually don't need to want as well. Because our wants are generally driven by a desire that, that reaches beyond, that outweighs the goodness of God in our lives. I want that house, I want that car, I want that power, I want those shoes, I want all of those eggs. If you don't have them, I think you're going to be okay. You're going to keep on going. Because when the desire or the drive to have keeps our eyes off the provision that God has already given, it actually becomes an idol. It starts to become a focal point for us, and that's 
an idol. And in David, uh, in Psalm 23, tells us, um, if the Lord truly is my shepherd, I don't need idols. I shall not want. I lack nothing. Because in the Lord, I have all that I need. The third part of it is, the Lord is my refreshment. The Lord is my refreshment. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. What a beautiful picture of God leading us into refreshment. My kids and I, well, my kids, they used to love rolling down grassy hills. You know, the roly-poly hills? We used to call them roly-polies. I'm sure the kids today still call them roly-polies. Um, Kyra would still roll down a hill if she could, um, wherever there is one. Um, my body doesn't cope with it so well nowadays. Um, you come out pretty sore. Um, but if there's a nice hill around, the kids would be there. There's, uh, there's nothing better than getting into some nice grass and just lying in it and rolling it's just a good feeling, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it becomes quite chaotic by the time you get to the bottom. But as we drive along, we're often looking out for roly-poly hills. And the kids will go, there's a good one. It's like a mountain. Like, imagine going down that one. <laughs> um, but they'll look out for roly-poly hills everywhere. And often they'll go, there's one, Dad, there's one. And we'll get a bit closer to it. Not that we're going to stop and go see it, but we'll get a bit closer to it. And from a distance, it looks nice and green and lush. It looks all right. But when you get closer, you realize it's actually full of rock. It's just rocks everywhere with moss and a little bit of grass sort of hiding it. But you can't see from a distance the danger that it is. Because as you head down that hill, it's actually going to hurt. I will never let my kids go down a roly-poly hill that's full of rocks. Because it's just going to hurt them. The shepherd will not lead you to the rocky roly-poly hill for you to lie in. The shepherd will not lead you to a mud puddle to drink from. Instead, our shepherd and provider will lead us to that lush greenery, the still waters that are safe and a place to find full refreshment. Now, there's nothing better than getting some nice cold water after a long day of work. And you can imagine the sheep of the shepherd lapping it up, being provided for, feeling safe. So the Lord's our shepherd. He's our provider. He's our refreshment. And the fourth thing is that the Lord is our guide. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. When we were in Bali, we got to Bali quite late. This is our, our uh, summer holiday. We got to Bali uh, quite late in the night. And I booked a, a taxi to the accommodation. The, 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 the island of Bali is quite small, probably that small as you compare it to the rest of the world, that big, tiny. Um, so you think it's not going to take long to get to places. So you think, 11 o'clock, we get into, the, into Bali. By the time we're out of there, 11.30, it might only take half an hour to get to our place. It was only up the road sort of really that long on the map. It was not long. It didn't look long. Well, the roads in Bali aren't awesome, to be fair. So, so by the time we actually found our driver, and by the time he got the car from the car park, which was chaotic, to where we were standing in the car park, it was already well after 12. And like, all right, well, 12.30, so be it. That'll be all right. Anyway, um, <laughs> we, we, so we don't know this guy from, from anything. He's got all of our luggage in his car already. He took all, his, all our luggage, and we're just standing there waiting. So we just had to trust that he was going to come. He finally came. It took probably half an hour. He finally came, so it's already sort of nearly 12 o'clock. And then he starts driving. We have no idea where we're going. None at all. We just have to trust that this guy is going to lead us the right path to our accommodation. About an hour and a half into the trip, I started to worry a little, a little bit. <laughs> um, I didn't think it was that far. No, no, it's all right, it's all right. I got under control. So about two and a half hours, we were there 
uh, safely. The kids were fully asleep, and I'm just like, oh, are we ever going to make it? Are we going to make it? But we had to trust that the guide knew where he was going. We have a shepherd who provides, a shepherd who leads, a shepherd who guides, and he guides us on a path. That's what David was saying, that the shepherd will guide, even if the sheep don't really know the place that they're going. Our Lord will lead us if we allow him to. The fifth thing, the Lord is my companion. And here comes one of the most quoted texts of Scripture. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, or you might have heard it, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't sound like a place you want to walk in the daytime, let alone at nighttime or any time. But the question might be here, if the Lord is with me, as we read in the, in this, in the verse before, why are there dark valleys? Surely the Lord doesn't want me to go through a dark valley, through hardships, through trials. Surely if I'm obedient to him, surely things should go a different way. When we read verse 3 and 4 together, we start to get a different understanding of God though. It says, He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his sakes, even though I walk through the darkest valley. We've gone from being guided along the right path to being in the darkest valleys. Where did it go wrong? Is it wrong? Unless sometimes the darkest valleys is the right path. Just because we don't like it doesn't mean it's not the right path. We learn from it. Job questions God's goodness in his dark times. I'm sure he didn't like the situation he was in. He lost everything. But God had not deserted him. David understands that there are tough times. His whole journey to become king was fraught with danger. Yet he's reminded of his shepherding days. When the lion or the bear was nearby, how he would protect his sheep from the pending dangers, fighting them off, keeping his sheep safe even in the dangerous times. God is our companion through the darkest of times. The Lord is with us when it's tough, when things seem hopeless, when death is knocking at our door. That's why these verses are used uh, in funerals or at bedsides of, at the end of life. Because they're verses of hope. Because the verse continues, I, I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I will fear no evil because... You are with me. The comfort of the Lord is with us, even when it's tough. Even when you're going through the stuff, you're going, God, I don't want to go through this stuff. God, where are you? God is with you. The sixth part of this, this, um, this psalm is that the Lord is my host. It's a beautiful picture to end the psalm. Our God preparing a table, this image of a feast. But note the company that's going to be there. It's not the people you want to invite to the table. The table is in the presence of my enemies. It further emphasizes the comfort that can be found in God. In front of those who are against me, God prepares a table and anoints us. We think of enemies being the, maybe the people we don't get along with. And we sit at the table and we go, oh, I don't think that person likes me or I don't like that person. Or they've done something wrong at work against me. They've put me down so that they can get higher. Someone at school, the bully. Someone in our, uh, our, our street that sort of lords it over others. Maybe someone in your family. 
We see it in sport, don't we? Um, we think of enemies, those who cross teams, and so they go after them and attack them. <laughs> Maybe for you, your enemy's not actually a person, though. Perhaps it's an addiction that you've never been able to break, and the enemy sitting right there next to you. Perhaps it's holding on to this idol of approval. And when you don't get the affirmation that you want, you feel like you're in a deep valley and it sits there right next to you at the table the Lord has prepared. But the psalm finishes with hope again, that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all days of my life. Surely that even when the enemy sits close, surely God is greater. It's a massive statement about the goodness of God. And it ends with the confident promise that even through all of this, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a great way to finish a, a, a psalm of hope. This confidence with God as our heavenly host can lead us in life, not just through the, the, the death part of life, but through the ups of life as well. Psalm 23 is a psalm of absolute confidence in the Lord as our shepherd. It's a psalm of great hope. So what do we do about it? We've all got times where the darkest valleys seem endless, haven't we? We've all had those times, maybe you're in there now, where our enemies don't just seem to be around us at the table, they seem to be sitting on our lap trying to eat our meal. They're intimidating us, they're baiting us. They're trying to get us to make choices that we know are against the Lord. And we know that the psalm tells us the Lord is our shepherd, yet our hearts and minds are so often de divisive against us and we fall into the trap of succumbing rather than finding happiness in the things of the world rather than the things of God. We seek love and approval of others. We work, work and work to make sure that we get more, more and more and it feels good. We fear the darkness or even death, rather than trust the Lord, the giver of life and light. John 9 gives us an answer. There's a story in John chapter 9 where a blind man receives sight, and Andrew Brown actually preached this uh, late in January. So if you want to go back to the end of January and listen to that, um, you'll get a whole lot more than I'm going to give you here, so it's well worth going back and having a look. But the quick rundown is that Jesus and his disciples pass a man that is born blind, not just a man that's gone blind, he's born blind on the side of the road. The disciples fall into this argument about who sinned that this man may be born blind, and Jesus sets them straight. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, he was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Jesus then repeats something that he taught in the previous chapter. He says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of this world. He's talking about a man who only knows darkness. Light's not a concept that he can imagine. And into this dark world comes the light of the world. And isn't it comforting to know that even through the darkest of valleys... Jesus provides a great light, a light that makes darkness just disappear. So Jesus spits in the dirt, rubs mud into this man's eyes and says, go and wash it off in the pool of Siloam. And he did what he was told and he was able to see. Amazing. The light of the world brings light out of darkness. 
So directly after this miracle, the Pharisees get wind of the healing. They find out he's done it on a Sabbath. So they go after Jesus, making the assumptions that someone who uh, does sins against God by doing something, work on the Sabbath, well, they must be a sinner. The story ends with Jesus then having a dig at the Pharisees. In John 9.39, he says, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see... <laughs> hint, Pharisees, become blind. So we've got a blind man who can see. Not just physically, he can see spiritually. He sees that in front of him is not just another man, but is the Messiah. And in verse 38, it says, he worshipped him. When he found out who it was, he worshipped him. A beautiful response to the revelation of seeing Jesus. A man born blind, seeing for the first time in his life, And his response was worship, to bask in the green pastures, to be led to the still waters. God had provided for him through Jesus Christ. And I bet he wasn't looking back. In contrast, the Pharisees, their hard heart, Jordan talked about the hard heartedness last week, their hard heart missed the opportunity to see God to see what God was doing in and through the world. They were blind to God's restorative work in this man who was born blind. All they could see was their own ego and authority being questioned. Their grip on their position of power was more important than seeing the Saviour right in front of them. And if they were stuck in spiritual blindness, if they were entrenched in the valley of the shadow of death, they weren't willing to take the hand of the Saviour, and be led to those green fields and lush or running water. And when Jesus' time came to head to the cross, I guarantee these were the same men who call for his arrest, who call out, crucify him, because they can't allow their grip on power go. Yet for us, we have the great confidence to live like a blind man seeing for the first time. We have the joy of being able to worship like we've seen the light. All because we know that Jesus first faced the darkest of times. That he was beaten and nailed to a cross, bearing all of our sin on himself, releasing to the Father this great shepherd, yet overcoming, overcoming coming back to life, a life that brings light in the darkest valleys. So for us, we have a choice. We can be led by Jesus. He knows what darkness looks like. He sympathizes with us in our darkness. And he leads us out to the pastures to do plenty of roly-polies down those beautiful hills, (laughs) to find refreshing water, to prepare a table for us, even though he knows the enemies are still lurking. We have a choice. Are you going to take the hand of Jesus? Or we can very easily just get lost in the darkness. The spiritual blindness, just like the Pharisees who couldn't see what Jesus was really offering. So this Easter, I challenge you to renew your faith in Jesus, the Great Shepherd. If you're going through a tough time now, if you're hurting at the moment, if you're feeling that there's darkness around you, 
reach out to Jesus, the shepherd who will guide you. If you've got big decisions to make or you're scared or uncertain or paralyzed by making them, reach out to Jesus and he will guide you. And why do I know that? One, Jesus lived it out. Two, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in roly-poly hills. He leads me beside still refreshing water. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. And even though I walk through dark times, I'm not going to fear evil because God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table, and I know the enemies are around still, but he prepares a table for me. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I wonder, will you do that as well? Let's pray. I'll invite the band up. Our Lord and God, I thank you so much for this psalm of hope and this time of our, our calendar where we can find hope in death. That what looks like darkness coming is actually light. That God, you didn't stay dead, that Jesus rose from the dead, that brings us this life and life eternal. So Lord, may we live this week praying this psalm and claiming it as our comfort. We thank you, Lord. Amen.